truly is good to see everyone this Lord's Day morning. Do appreciate the presence of each and every one of you. Uh, it's good to see Mike that was able to be here with us this morning. Uh, he's still recovering from his illness, and we do need to continue to remember him in our prayers uh, for his speedy recovery. Uh, it is always a joy and a blessing to look out and see visitors who have come our way. And again, we do have some visitors uh, that are here with us this morning. We appreciate your presence very much, and we hope that something can be said to help encourage you and motivate you uh, in your walk in this world. Uh, if you're not a child of God, we want to encourage you to think about the scriptures that we look at. Search these scriptures with us. Uh, God does show us what we can do to become one of his children. And indeed, there is a blessing in being a child of God and being a Christian. And so we appreciate the presence of every one of you that is here. Uh, if you're visiting from other churches, we appreciate you being here. Uh, if you're visiting with us and, and you don't have a church home, we hope that you might name this place and, and speak with our elders and our members and become uh, part of the work that we have here. Uh, your Bibles that you have this morning, let me encourage you to open those up. Uh, appreciate the reading in James chapter 4 a few moments ago. Uh, James is writing to Christians that are scattered abroad. Uh, in the book of Acts, we can read from time to time of Christians being scattered. Uh, Acts chapter 8, they were scattered because of persecution. Other reasons, they may just simply move from one country to another, one city to another, and they may have their mind made up and their plans laid out on, on what they want to do in the following days, weeks, months, or, or maybe within the following year. But here James says, Go to now ye that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. James says, Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boasting, and all such rejoicing is evil. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him, it is sin. They were thinking about the future. And sometimes there's nothing wrong with that. The problem here is they were thinking about the future. They had their plans laid out, but God wasn't in their plans. And so James wanted to remind them, you ought to say this. If it's the Lord's will, we shall live and we shall do this or that. And those that boast about what they're going to do in the future and they leave God out of it, James says that that's evil Decisions. That's evil choices that you're making. It's against God's will that he needs to be a part uh, of your life. He needs to be in your life. He needs to be a part of your plans. And so this Lord's Day morning, being the last Lord's Day of 2014, we want to think about some reasonable resolutions for 2015. Now, some folks may not even think about what they want to do in 2015. It's just going to happen. Some look at their life and saying, I'm just simply existing. You know, I may eat and sleep and get up and go to work and then come back home and eat and sleep and do the same thing day after day. And maybe if they're lucky, they have the weekend off. Uh, but some folks with their life, they just look at it as simply being some kind of existence. But there is more to life. And we'll see that as we search the scriptures this Lord's Day morning. But as you reflect back over the previous year, what would you conclude? You look at your life. Well, the Apostle Paul would write, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith, prove your own selves. Second Corinthians chapter 13 and verse five. And so he's writing to Christians and he wants them to make sure that, yes, you're a faithful and obedient child of God. And so Paul would tell them to examine themselves. And as I mentioned a few moments ago, you may be here with us and you may not be a Christian. You may not be a child of God and you examine your life. 
Have you put your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord? Have you publicly confessed him as being the Son of God? Have you repented of your sins? Have you been baptized, immersed in water for the remission of sins? Uh, if you look back over your life and you haven't done that, then you're not a child of God yet. Because that's what God requires you to do to become a Christian. Maybe you look back over your life as a child of God and, and you can say, yes, like Paul would say to the Corinthians, I have been steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as I know that my labor is not in vain in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58. You may be looking at 2015 not as a, a bright year and a shining spot in your life. You may be looking at 2015 as just simply another year where you bring all, all the burdens that you already have, all the grief that you already have, all the mess ups, all the sins that you already have. You may be thinking 2015 is just going to be another time for me to, to exist once again with all the problems that I have. You know, Paul gives some great advice to folks who look back at what they've done in the past. You have your Bible, look at Philippians chapter 3. <clears throat> I think I have Philippians chapter 1 in the outline, but look at Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. He says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. This is very hard for some folks. Paul, it, it took him a while to overcome this. But he does say, this one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forth into the things that are before, I press toward the mark for the pride of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Forgetting about those things that are behind. You see, he had mentioned earlier in these verses how he had persecuted the church. He was very zealous, zealous under the Jews' religion, very zealous following the tradition of the fathers, very zealous in saying that I will go and find these folks who want to follow Jesus Christ. I'll put them on trial. I'll get my voice against them, and I'll see that they're killed. I'll see that they're put to death. He did that. In all good conscience before God, he thought he was doing God's will. And he mentions these things here. When it came to the Jews' religion, he was probably number one. But then when he realized he was fighting against God and Jesus Christ our Lord, he repented. He was baptized. His sins were washed away, Acts 22 and verse 16, calling upon the name of the Lord. So he put those things behind them. He didn't want to dwell on the fact that, yes, I killed your mama and your daddy and your grandparents and, and your children. I watched them die. I watched them bleed. He had to put that out of his mem memory. He had done such things as Saul of Tarsus. But Paul knew, I can't dwell on the past. I've repented of the past. He'll suffer the consequences of the past from time to time and having to confront other living family members and what he had done to their relatives and having them put to death. But, but he would put those things behind him and, and live for Jesus Christ our Lord. And he'd also talk about the sufferings that he would endure. But he knew he could do all things through Jesus Christ. He can do all things through the strength which Jesus Christ gives him. Philippians 4 and verse 13. So Paul has some good advice. As you go into the new year, you think about the future, forget about those things that are before you or behind you, pardon me, and press toward the mark for the pride of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. His mind and his eye was focused on Jesus and focused on heaven, and that's where he wanted to be when his life was over. As Paul would say, and we'll look at this verse later on as well, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to live, I'm going to live for Jesus. And when I die, I'm going to be in the presence of Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
And so we know that he totally dedicated his life to Jesus. And he also forgot about those things that are behind. That is, he put them away and he pressed toward the mark of the pride of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We've also heard this saying. Athletes hear this saying. It's not whether you win or lose, but how you play the game. At least some coaches, they don't say that anymore. It's all about winning. Unfortunately, that, that's what drives sports, major sports, NBA, NFL, uh, baseball. If you don't win at all, then it's almost like a total loss. But these were wise words years ago. Doesn't matter whether you win or lose, but how you play the game. What about a child of God? There are occasions where we win. There are occasions where we suffer loss. Uh, and the Bible describes such things where we would suffer loss. And, and yet we keep our eyes focused upon Jesus Christ, our Lord, and upon God Almighty. If you have your Bible, you can look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. Paul would say all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. He didn't say all things are good. He said all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. There are times where things happen to us. We may suffer loss and we might say, where is the good in this? Where is the good in losing a loved one? Where is the good in losing a job? And now I got to find how I'm going to support my family or pay the, the mortgage or pay the rent or buy groceries or any other expenses that you have. How can I find good in this? Be patient. Wait upon the Lord. All things work together for good to them to love the Lord. God works different ways in the different lives of Christians. And so God's not the same for everyone. It's not a one size fits all other than the fact that God can take care of everything. And so when Paul would say all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, those who are called according to his promise, Paul knew what he was talking about personally and also, you know, being inspired by God. That all things do work together for good to them that love the Lord. But when we suffer loss, when we gain victory, even as a child of God, how did I win? Or why did I lose? Or why did I suffer loss? Sometimes we might have the answer to those questions. Uh, did I gain victory by being faithful and, and honorable before God? Did I gain victory by lying and cheating as a child of God? That shouldn't be part of our character. And so as we go through life, we're going to have challenges. And, and so we want to make sure that we are examining ourselves whether we're in the faith. We want to make sure that we're steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And when it comes to 2015, we want to grow. We want to abound. And the Apostle Paul wrote much about this as well. To abound in hope, to abound in, in every good work, to abound in knowledge, to abound in love. You know, as a child of God, there are areas that we still want to grow in. We still want to become Christ-like. The Apostle Paul said he still presses toward the mark, but it's not that he's already perfect. He, he's still trying to uh, conform his life to Christ. He's still trying to follow in the footsteps of Christ, and he wants to make sure that he does that in a way that's pleasing in God's sight because other folks are watching him. Other folks are following in his footsteps. And he would encourage folks to do so. Follow me as I follow Jesus Christ, our Lord. So as you look in at the coming year, 2015, we can look at at least four reasonable resolutions that we want to keep in mind as we approach this new year. And the first one would be, Lord, help teach me how to live. Teach me how to live a more productive, a more effective, a more holy Christian life. 
You know, life is not measured by quantity, but quality. Jesus Christ, and he came speaking to individuals, and he said, I came to give life and to give that more abundantly. John chapter 10 and verse 10. Those folks were living. Many of them were just existing. Some were living in sin. Some were living in self-righteousness. And here the Lord Jesus Christ wanted to call all of them back to God and to follow after the commandments of God Almighty. And so, yes, he came to give life, and he came to give that more abundantly. In the scriptures, it tells us about God. He's the giver of life. All of us have been given that precious gift of life. We have the breath of life in our body this morning. Well, our life comes from God. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 9, he's the father of our spirits. Uh, he's the one who gives us our spirit. He's the one who puts that spirit within our body when we're in our mother's womb. Uh, Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 1. When it came to Jeremiah, God would tell Jeremiah, I knew you even when you were in your mother's womb. And so here we think about God, you know, he has a purpose for each and every one of us on what he wants us to do while we're living in this life. And so God is a father of our spirits. He's given us our spirit, that precious gift of life. The question is, how are we using this life? He knows how we should live. He knows the fact on how long we shall live. In James chapter 4 that we read a few moments ago, uh, for this we ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. If it's the Lord's will, we shall live and do this or that. James 4 and verse 15. But as you look at God, God knows how we should live. Unfortunately, many folks in our world today are not following God's advice. When it came to Satan tempting Jesus Christ to turn stones into bread, Jesus gave these words. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, physically and spiritually. Yes, we know we need food for our body. But then Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. God gives us the guidelines to follow as we go through this life, all the do's and the don'ts, if you would, how to be pleasing in his sight by following his commandments. And so Jesus knew that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Back in the Old Testament, Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, that 12th chapter, he describes the whole of mankind. He describes the whole of man's life. In verse 1, he talks about those who are young. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth before the evil days draw nigh. God knows that when folks are young, they want to learn. They want to gain knowledge. Little toddlers are favorite word and question is why? And then, you know, parents sometimes or grandparents, we get tired of answering all those questions. Why? Because every answer you give is followed by the question why? They want to learn. Well, Ecclesiastes 3.11, God put eternity in the heart of mankind. Our King James Version says God put the world in the heart of mankind. That is, we look at this world and we want to learn about it. We want to learn where it came from. We want to learn why it exists. And of course, God's word gives us that answer that God created all of this. And so while young folks want to thirst after knowledge and understanding and wisdom, God wants it filled with his word, with his knowledge and his wisdom, his understanding. And so in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, Solomon talks about those who are young. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Yes, God loves you and God cares for you and God will be there every day of your life no matter how long you live that life. Notice what this individual says when he comes to Jesus Christ. A certain lawyer stood up, Luke 10, 25, 
and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, we want to think about life as we approach 2015. But here, this individual is thinking about eternal life. You know, perhaps not just how I'm living right now, but, but what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? You know, Jesus knew what this individual was thinking anyway. But he wanted this individual to use his own words. You want eternal life. What does God's word say? And so this individual answered him in verse 27 and said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. Notice what Jesus said. He said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. Simple, summing up the purpose of life. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love thy neighbor as thyself. If I do that, heaven's going to be my home. I'm going to inter inherit eternal life. And Jesus said, yes. But then you need to find out what I need to do with my heart as I love God. What I need to do with my soul as I love God. What I need to do with my strength as I love the Heavenly Father. And what I need to do with this mind as I serve God Almighty. Yes, Jesus said, if you love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as thyself, thou shalt live. And so God tells us how this love directs us as we go through life. Didn't Jesus say, if you love me, keep my commandments? And we know if we love Jesus Christ and we keep his commandments that heaven's going to be our home. John 14 and verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. We want heaven to be our home. And Jesus said, you have to follow me. You have to love me and keep my commandments. And so we see how our eternal life is connected to love. Our love is connected to our relationship with Jesus Christ our Lord. And so as we look at the second thing that we want to deal with as we approach 2015, and that is, Lord, teach us, teach me how to love. If you have your Bibles, look at what Paul said in Titus. Now, being a young Christian and, and reading these verses, and I actually read these verses for the first time when I was at Memphis School of Preaching, and, and I was amazed. A lot of the Bible I didn't read before I went to preaching school. But here I, I read these verses and I said, you know, that seems like it, it can't be right. But I want you to hear them or at least read them as well. Titus chapter 2. Paul is telling Titus in verse 1, Speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith and in charity and patience, and aged women likewise, that they should be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. And notice this, that they may teach the young women to be sober and to love their husbands and to love their children. You know, I, I shook my head. I said, mothers need to be taught how to love their children. Our mothers need to be taught to love their children. You know, as you, you grow older and you go through life, you hear about some devastating thing that, that some parents do to their children and some mothers do to their children that they find babies in garbage cans, that they find babies out in the woods, that, that you know, I've heard of some of these instances, if their children does not do certain things with visitors that come into the household, the children have to stay outside in the cage with the dog. And so the parents would treat their children that way. And, and some of these things are just devastating on how a mother would teach their, treat their child. And so when I read this for the first time, you know, I'm just shaking my head 
You really have to teach a mother how to love their children? Well, some you don't. It, it seems natural with them, but with others, it seems like they have to be taught how to love their children. When, you're, when your child's an infant, your infant has these needs. When they become one year old, they're going to have these needs. Two years old, three years old, those terrible twos, as they call it. You're going to have to meet those needs, and you're going to need this patience and that patience. And, and so some mothers need to be taught how to love their children. And then they're taught when you get married how to love your husband. But see, we can't leave men off the hook because in Ephesians chapter 5, the apostle Paul says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And so we can see when it comes to love that, yes, Lord, teach me how to love. Teach me how to abound in love toward my children, toward my spouse. And, and not only do we see love in the home, but we see love in the household of God. When it comes to the church, we know that members are to love one another. That's what the Apostle Paul told the, the Christians that were in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 12. They were to abound in love one toward another, obviously toward the folks that were in their community as well. Uh, they were to grow in that love. And you hear it mentioned time and time from this congregation. We can look out and, you know, the seats are, you know, almost filled. But folks come here because of the love. I'll say it time and time again. You know, Mike's been preaching for a lot of years. Billy as well. Uh, me preaching for a lot of years. There's some congregations where you don't have love. You know, we go to Michigan from time to time and visit and go to a congregation. We had about 100 people there. And my wife and I and four children at the time, not a single person shook our hand. You know, me being a preacher, my hand's almost out all the time. And not a single person wanted to shake your hand. It was around the Christmas holiday. Oh, that's a time of love, the time of giving and all of this. And here I am with the Lord's people. And not a single person wanted to say, hi, how you doing? Give you a handshake or a hug. It happens, even in the Lord's church. It doesn't happen here. And we're thankful for that. Because we have folks that are dedicated and committed to the cause of Christ and to Christianity. And so when Paul would write about love in a Thessalonian church, he didn't say that it wasn't there. It was but he said, I want you to abound in it. You know, it needs to grow and it needs to continue. And so we ask the Lord to teach us to love. You know, if, if you need to grow in that area, you can be encouraged to do so as well. Love needs to be seen in the neighborhood. You know, you don't have to say much when you just think of cities like Memphis or Detroit or Atlanta or New York City, <clears throat> where love seems to be... Uh, non-existent at least in, in some cases but how beautiful is a neighborhood when you see neighbors who love one another and just think about what Jesus said to that lawyer how can I inherit eternal life he didn't just say love God the scriptures say love your neighbor as yourself and so that love needs to be there as well and so when we see neighborhoods where you have neighbors that actually love one another and care for one another and look out for one another uh, it, it's an amazing area a beautiful place to live in but we know there's some other areas they need love. You know, the question is, where is the love? A great song that came out, you know, years ago, what the world needs now is love. And that's true. God has it available. But you see, each human being has a choice to have love added to their life. And so, Lord, teach us to love. It can be taught. It can be seen. And as we know in the scriptures, love is given. God gave his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. His son, Jesus Christ, gave his life. And that's what Paul talked about in, in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. He loved me and he gave himself for me. 
Jesus, before that gruesome occasion of being put on trial and beaten and scourged and nailed to the cross, he said, greater love had no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. But the verse prior to that, you know, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. He wanted those 12 apostles. Yes, Judas included. He wanted those 12 apostles to love one another as he had loved them. And even G Jesus loving Judas all the way to the end. Yes, love can be taught. It can be seen. And love is given in the scriptures. And that's what we extend to others as well. But then there's a third thing that we can look at. And that is, Lord, teach me how to laugh. You know, that recognition of laughter. You have your Bibles, turn back in the Old Testament, if you would. That book of Ecclesiastes once again. In chapter 3, here the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, he says, Everything to everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up. Here he says, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to rend and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. Here they are. King Solomon writes unto us that, yes, there is a time of laughter. And we've seen these three words on plaques. Some folks have these in their household. That I want to live and I want to love and I want to laugh. There is a time where we need laughter in our life. And yet we see in the scriptures that the Bible talks about not just laughter, but having a merry heart. In the book of Proverbs, a merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. That is, when you look at some folks, it looks like, you know, either they're really ill or they're really angry about something. No smile on their face. And you wonder what's going on. And you would try to encourage them to smile. And you smile first. Sometimes smiles are contagious. And you know with folks that just seem to have a grin on their face all the time. Smile. Try to encourage them somehow. And yes Solomon said a merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. But by sorrow the heart is a spirit broken. In Proverbs 15 and verse 15, all the days of the afflicted are evil, but he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. Yeah, a lot of bad things that are going on, but we can keep that peace of God and that love of God in our heart to encourage us as we go through life. Because that's what Paul said applies. All good things work together for, the, or all things work together, pardon me, for good to them to love the Lord. Then in Proverbs 17 and 22, a merry heart doth good like a medicine but a broken spirit drieth the bones. Yes, we want to find times and occasions where we can laugh. And we want it to be situations that are moral. <clears throat> Unfortunately, one of the devil's strategies is to get you to laugh at sin. To laugh at immorality. Because then he's going to desensitize you. He's going to get you used to looking at sin and listening to sin. And, and he's going to get you used to condoning sin and tolerating sin as if it's okay. We know there are sitcoms and situations, uh, shows on TV that, that make you laugh, but unfortunately some of these, they're immoral. But there are some things that can make us laugh. You know, a few, about a month ago I was talking to Brother Jared you know, about the pulpit, and you know, jokes really don't have their place in the pulpit. 
But I heard one preacher say one time, he heard about jokes that were so funny, make your hair fall out. It looks like many of you heard them already. So, you know, if you look around and, you know, I've listened to them too many times myself. But as we know, there's a time to laugh. Some of these old shows that we used to watch on TV, some of you are too young to remember, Hee Haw, or actors such as Red Skelton or Jonathan Winters. Robin Williams came along a little bit later, but, but some of these old comics, everything was moral. You didn't have to worry about anything immoral coming out of, their, out of their mouth. But you watch those shows so that you can sit and laugh. And there are times where we need laughter. <clears throat> and so if you think about Abraham and Sarah, Abraham is about 100 years old. Sarah is about 90 years old. God tells him and reminds him once again, you're going to have a child. What did Abraham do? He laughed. What did Sarah do? She laughed. She said, I'm old, my husband's old, am I going to have pleasure in my old years and have a baby and I'm 90? You know, pleasure about raising a child is what she has in mind. Am I going to have pleasure in my old years? God said yes. But then here, here's God's sense of humor. Abraham laughed, Sarah laughed, and now God says, I want you to call your child laughter. Well, the word <clears throat> Isaac means laughter. If you didn't know that, you know it now. So there's God's sense of humor. You're going to call your child Isaac. Isaac means laughter. And Isaac would bring joy to their life. And I know our time is up. You have point number four, you know, in your handouts if you've gotten them. Well, another thing that we need to add to our life is learning. Learning can bring experience. Learning can bring education and edification and effort and exhilaration. And also learning is essential. I can't go to heaven without learning about God and about Jesus Christ my Lord. I just can't go there without having knowledge of what God's purpose is for humanity. And as I mentioned on the onset, if you're here this, this morning and you're not a Christian, you're not a child of God, then examine your life, examine your heart. Have you believed that Jesus Christ died on the cross for the sins of mankind? But let's make it personal. He died on the cross for your sins as well. He was buried and he rose again the third day. We want you to be resolved to give your life to Christ through faith and obedience. And the obedience requires confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's Matthew 10, verses 32 and 33. Repentance of your sins, as we have in Acts 17 and verse 30, that God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Then being baptized, immersed in water for the remission of sins. And when you do that, Acts 2 and verse 47, Jesus is going to add you to his family, his church. That's gospel obedience, and we want to encourage you to do that. But maybe you're a child of God, and you've looked at your life. Maybe you messed it up and sin's in your heart. Turn away from that sin by repentance and by confession. Prayers can be offered up on your behalf. But while you think about your life and as we sing this song, once you resolve to make things right before it's everlastingly too late and while we sing this song.